Good morning. I'm Dave Bianchin, one of the pastors on staff here, and I'm delighted to be able to share God's Word with you this morning as we move into Scripture and into this wonderful new series called Hidden Figures. In this series, one of the things we're recognizing is that there are people in the Bible, as probably people in our lives too, who are not well-known or as well-known as some, and yet who have great things to teach us as God led them. You know, not everyone who was a Moses or a, or a David or a Peter or a Paul, um, but there are some amazing figures in Scripture who lead us to the throne of God and lead us to greater obedience. We're going to focus these next four weeks on four women uh, who are not as well known as some of the other women in Scripture and see what they have to teach us and to lead us toward as we come closer to Jesus Christ as well. One of the things we're going to see, especially today, is Jesus' radical countercultural approach to women, how he accepts them and honors what they do in ways that the culture around them didn't. So we'll get into that for just a little bit this morning. But I'd like to ask you throughout the whole series to notice, first of all, the call of God and the response of these particular women. So it's not just that they're great people, even though they are, it's that they are interacting with the very call of God upon their lives, and in the case of today, interacting with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's something to learn about looking at that. I also invite you to look at the onlookers in each of the situations, and again, particularly today. We'll find religious folks, some of them like us, maybe some not. We find the disciples of Jesus today trying to figure out what to do with this countercultural act of love um, that Mary expresses toward Jesus. And we'll find along the way people of power who accept or don't accept, who reject or push away from Jesus and the things that he's demanding upon their lives because they don't want to give up their sense of power. And I think as we look at each of the onlookers from the positions, those of vulnerability, those of power, those of closeness to Jesus, it rounds out the ability for us to see the lesson God has for us in the midst of each of these. Where do we fit in? How does our culture work against our relationship with Christ and how does it draw us toward him? And how do these women give us a window into our relationship with Jesus Christ? So with those things in mind, would you please join with me in a word of prayer as we enter into this message. Heavenly Father, we are grateful today for the opportunity to, to have your word before us and to have the person of Mary before us. And I pray, Lord God, that you would teach us what we each need to learn. If we need to be comforted, Lord, may we receive that. If we need to be challenged, Lord, may we receive that as well. And may we see you in your glory and your honor and your love for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that's happened and is continuing to happen in conjunction with the sermon series is a wonderful art project that Stephanie Coakley has spearheaded. And if you go down into the atrium or onto the bridgeway as well, you'll see coffee cups that have been decorated a certain way. Those come out of the small group life of some people who have been dialoguing over the last few weeks about relationships of men and women, relationships of power and of vulnerability. And there are particular lessons that each person painted and then wrote on those. Um, I think it's appropriate because if there's an iconic symbol of our age these days, it's probably the coffee cup. I mean, I dare you to walk down the street any time this summer and not see somebody or everybody with a coffee cup as they walk along. It's become kind of the symbol of, of our age. And the content on each of those cups can be very instructive. So I invite you um, to look in the bridgeway and to look down in the atrium after 
um, our service today. And in the coming weeks, they will be changing. Mary comes to us this morning as a hidden figure because she's a person who was not in the very core of disciples and she was not honored by the culture around her. And I will say that I have noticed that happening with some of the women that I've known in churches where I've served. These names have been changed, but these are true comments. Jane, who mentioned to me one time, people treat me like I'm invisible. I walk by them, I say something, I dialogue with them, and I might as well not even be there. They just don't engage with me. Joyce says, people treat me like I am not credible, that what I have to say doesn't have credibility, at least in comparison to theirs. And Jonah said, people treat me like I am not capable, that how can I possibly comment on this issue or lead in this particular way um, compared to their expertise? Now, I will tell you that I've changed the names, but in all three cases, these were talented, educated, capable, brilliant women. Two of them had earned doctorates. All three of them had very significant careers in their field of work and made a great impact despite the fact that they were dismissed by some people as being invisible, not credible, or not capable. Now, something's wrong with that picture. Something's very wrong. I, uh, we have called this series Hidden Figures on the basis of the movie that came out not too long ago, and I hope you will see that movie if you haven't yet. I intend to watch it again just to be reminded. As we look back to that time in the nation's space program, when these women of color who were pushed aside out of the public eye of great talent, great leadership, great courage, great vision, made a great contribution and one of the questions I've asked myself, or I asked myself at the end of the movie was, how did I not know about this? And how is it that they made such an impact on the space program and we didn't know? If you go through scripture, you'll find some of those same dynamics, not going on so much, but as you think about what you know about the Bible, unless you've been very systematic about reading, there'll be people in there that you didn't know about as well. So I would encourage you, and I will encourage you in the sermon, to look through the Bible, not only for the great heroes and heroines of faith, but also through those, for those hidden figures who have much to teach us, and in many ways, whose lives are more similar to ours than the great heroes of the faith. So there are two stories in the New Testament that deal with a woman coming to Jesus and anointing his feet with something costly, perfume or, or oil. And the first one comes from Luke chapter 7, verse 16 and following, Luke 7, 16 and following. We're not gonna look at that story today. There's a story there of a woman who's not named. She is described as being sinful. She is very much clearly an outcast in the village around her and she does the same thing. She comes to Jesus, breaks this costly perfume on his feet and is criticized in that case by the head of the house who happens to be a Pharisee. Now there's a wonderful lesson there I commend it to you, I commend the story to you. The costly, surprising, spontaneous acts of love toward Jesus, regardless of whether there's been any relationship first, are appropriate and wonderful. But for our story for today, we're looking at Mary, sister of Martha, sister of Lazarus, who has a long-standing relationship with Jesus. We see her at three important junctures of scripture. And so it's, a, it's her long relationship that deepens and grows that we want to look at today because we want to look at the issue of spiritual formation. The question then becomes, how am I 
growing in my relationship with Christ? What am I doing to position myself to know Jesus better and to love him more through the course of my entire lifetime? But before we get back to that, I wanna look at a couple stories that support this, that tell us those two other vignettes in Mary's life. The first comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 41. This will be a familiar story to you. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And so she came to him and asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord said to her, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed and indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. So culturally speaking, Mary should have been in the kitchen with Martha preparing the meal to host Jesus with. That's what would have been normally expected from people. And so instead, she is so interested in what Jesus has to say that she ignores the cultural custom. She sits down at Jesus' feet with the men in the room. That's who she's sitting with. And she listens to Jesus preach. And she is so enraptured by it that she doesn't even notice that Martha's needing some help. And we oftentimes look at this and say, well, gosh, Martha sure didn't get it right. But there's a lot of courage on Mary's part, first of all, to go into this room where the teaching was happening and to give herself to that and to listen to it. That's the first story of background. Second is from John chapter 11. I'm gonna read verses 20 through 32. And John chapter 11 is a story of Lazarus dying and Jesus coming and raising him from the dead. What happens is Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha dies. They send word to Jesus while he is sick that he's about ready to die, and Jesus waits two or three days before deciding to go to Bethany and to their home. In those two days, Lazarus dies, he's put into a tomb, and everybody's really upset about it because first of all, he's dead, and secondly, Jesus did not come, and they thought Jesus could have healed him. So listen to this from John chapter 11. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back to her home and called Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. One more verse. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now what do we learn from this? Mary is, is afraid to come out. You can do your own speculation of why she was afraid to come out. But when she comes out and talks to Jesus, she is confronted with Jesus. Where were you? Why didn't you come? If you would have come, my brother would not have died. Now, in that, you can kind of catch the edge in Mary's voice. And I'm not here to criticize that. I'm here to honor that. Because Mary loved Jesus so much that she could be totally honest with him about what she was feeling. She knew that their relationship could handle that. And so she says to him, Lord, I'm sad. I've lost my brother. And you could have done something about it. And Jesus, who is moved by her grief and by the grief of the other people around her, it says he's deeply moved in spirit, which leads us to the shortest verse in the New Testament. Many of you know this, Jesus wept. So what that shows us, it shows us Jesus' compassion and concern for her, his love for her. He asks for her. She comes out and he weeps because of her sorrow. But it also shows us Mary's willingness to come to God and to say, Lord, I am in such pain. You could have done something about it. Where were you? Why were you not here? Now, before we move into the, the application of this, I want to look at three theological or what I'll call discipleship concepts because they're very important as the foundation for how we apply our faith in the world today. And the first concept is what's called formation or spiritual formation. And we see this all throughout the Bible that people are in their relationship with God, the ones I'm going to mention anyway, for the long haul. They want to be in their relationship with God and they want to be there for their whole life. They're, they weren't perfect, but they worked through their challenges and their disappointments in order to stay in their relationship with God. And they do this, first of all, in terms of length. They want to do this for the entire life, all the years of their lives. This is the long commitment. I think of Abraham, who was given a promise and for years, was wandering around trying to figure out what that was going to be, but finally received that and Isaac was born and receives another promise that his descendants would be as the stars in the sky. So formation happens over length. Formation also happens in terms of the depth of our circumstances. Now, many of us deal with issues called imp like impatience. Many of us deal with issues of grief and it's just hard for us to continue to move forward. I think of Moses in his life who um, followed God through lots of circumstances that were difficult, who went out into the wilderness and over years finally heard God's call and came back, ministered through some difficult times, even through this, his inability to go into the promised land because God said no. But Moses followed God, not only the length of his life, but in the depth of his circumstances. And I think of the breadth of life, that all of the circumstances that we face, God invites us to follow him through that. And we see Mary at different junctures of her life, in her eagerness to learn, in her grief and sadness over the disappointment about Lazarus, and then finally in, in this act of, of radical love, in giving not only her heart to Jesus, but also sacrificing with something that really meant something in her society that people could go ahead and see. So notice this long-term formation. She's, she's a model for this because she moves through different stages of life and she grows deeper 
and, and wider in her relationship with Christ through that. Second concept is what I'll call connection. And that is that, that she is connected to Jesus far beyond just the intellectual. That's where we see her in the first vignette. But in the second text, we see her now weeping and sorrowful in front of Jesus. A Bible study can oftentimes have kind of an academic, analytical, even clinical feel to it. And I don't want to criticize that because we want to study scriptures. We want to read through. We want to um, parse verbs and understand context because it helps us understand what God is teaching us. But what God is teaching us is not just theological principles. God is teaching us how God interacted with people in their lives. And in those cases, it happened in deep emotion and in deep concern. The great commandment tells us to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it also reminds us that God loves us in a similar deep sort of way. So we are invited to engage with God in the depth and breadth of our heart issues as well. I'm afraid that some of us are nervous about that. We're nervous about how God's going to receive that if we say, God, I'm mad at you. Where were you? You didn't show up when I expected you to be there. Or God, I'm afraid to share this with you because you know I'm not perfect, but I don't really want to admit it. You know, but God invites us with our heart and soul and mind and strength to engage in our relationship with him. So formation and connection. And finally, God invites us to look at our culture and to remember that Sometimes the culture is going to encourage us in the right way, but sometimes it's going to discourage us. And the question then becomes, where are we going to plant our feet? Where are we going to raise our hand? Is it going to be in allegiance to the culture around us or in allegiance to God and himself? Now, the onlookers in this particular cultural context are the disciples. And Judas is mentioned specifically. As was read to us, Judas had the wrong motives, he tried to play out the idea that he was doing things to help the poor. But it's scandalous for Mary really even to be in this situation, that she would go into this place where Jesus is, he's, he's undoubtedly surrounded just by men, and to touch his feet, which are unclean, and to anoint his feet with something very, very costly. This is really, frankly, scandalous. She's touching Jesus, and she's touching Jesus' feet. That was a no-no. That was not something that a woman would do in that culture. So the question comes, how often do we let the culture around us, either by suggestion or out of fear, determine the path that we're going to walk on in our discipleship? Maybe we don't want to seem overtly religious to people. We're afraid of that. Maybe we want the approval of other people and we're afraid that that's going to be a category that they're going to reject us on. For whatever it is, we need to be careful that we don't allow the culture to dictate how we follow Christ. Many of you will be familiar with this story. A man named William Borden, who was born in 1904, was heir to the Borden family fortune. He went to Yale University and came to faith during those years and was a very, very active um, and open Christian on the Yale campus though, there in the late teens, early 20s. And he sensed eventually a call to God to go out on the mission field. And so he put all of his affairs in order. He put his will together. He gave away most of his possessions. And he sailed on a ship to London to learn Chinese so that he could minister to the Muslims in China. Very specific call. 
And on the way, either on the boat or when he got to London, he contracted spinal meningitis. And so before he ever had a chance to go to China, he lay on his deathbed in London and wrote in his Bible, no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. That he had followed God's call, was prevented, he knew by now, from going to fulfill that call because of this illness, and yet still could say, no reserve, it's the right thing to do, no retreat, and no regrets. What I find interesting also written on his tombstone was this, apart from Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. To the culture around, how could he give up these riches? How could he throw away his Yale education? How, how much he could have done in many other different ways, but instead, he goes, gives his stuff away, goes to minister to Muslims, dies along the way. What a waste, people say. Apart from Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. And yet, he influenced so many people at this early time in the mission work uh, in, in the English-speaking culture. And I think he inspires us as well. So all of these things factor in our formation, our connection, and our culture. And as we look at Mary's life, we look at how she learned from Jesus, how she shared her life with Jesus, how she sacrificed for Jesus. And so I'd like to ask this morning to ask ourselves what we are doing to position ourselves in order to grow in grace and knowledge and discipleship of Christ. Now, I want to be clear about a couple things, first of all. This is not about earning our favor with God. Mary did not do these things because she was hoping Jesus would accept her. That's not what happened. She was eager to learn. She was brave to share. She was eager to sacrifice because she had that relationship with God. It was a response, not an earning things. It's all about growing in our love for Christ and his will for us. It's all about feeling drawn to him and responding out of that. Now, the three things I'm gonna ask us this morning, they're not always going to come in this order for every single person. Some people come to Jesus first through intellectual questions. Some people come to Jesus first through heart issues. Some people come to Jesus first by the need to do something radical and, and leave their past life behind. And so you may not come to Christ in this order, but each of these I think are legitimate questions to ask which might help us, and I include myself in this, grow deeper in the discipleship journey to be able to serve God better. And so I have three questions for us. The first question is this. When have I sat long enough at Jesus' feet and listened to him deeply and closely enough for him to truly change my perspective on life? We're satisfied oftentimes with just a little bit of knowledge, a, a, a general sense of what's happening. But in order for us to really go deep with Jesus, we're gonna need to literally sit at his feet and learn from him. We live in a world full of sound bites and short clips and sometimes it's just noise to us and they compete for our attention and they wear us out and our attention spans oftentimes become very short and with that shortening comes shallowness. Richard Foster in his great book Celebration of Discipline said and I might add in 1986 superficiality is the curse of our age. I don't think it's gotten any better in the last 33 years. Superficiality is the curse of our age. 
No one develops a close and deep relationship with anyone on the basis of sound bites. No marriage becomes deep and meaningful just by throwing cliches out to one another. We have to go deeply and learn about the person and who they are and what they like and what they dislike. And we need to hammer that through together in such a way that we, we mold ourselves together out of those depths rather than shallowness. And so we need to move from busyness to attentiveness in our relationship with God to really learn how to listen. Listening in itself is a spiritual discipline. If we sat down with scripture and read even two or three sentences and really sat with that, it would change our lives. But we get distracted. We find ourselves diverted in different ways. And I don't know about you, but my life's kind of busy and there are lots of things clamoring for my attention and, and there are lots of thoughts that are moving through my head and I'm not proud of all that. I'd like to go deeper with Christ, but I struggle with these same things that you do. I love C.S. Lewis's writing. Chronicles of Narnia, of course, is a wonderful book, but he, he wrote a series of essays and it's published under the title, The Weight of Glory. And one of those essays is called Learning in Wartime. And the question Lewis poses is, how can you study Latin when London's being bombed by the Nazis? And the answer he says is, you have to. Because the fact that we're in a time of war doesn't change the basics of life and death. Death always threatens us. There are always dangers in life. There are always distractions. And he writes this toward the end of the essay that I think is really helpful. He says, there are always plenty of rivals to our work. We are always falling in love or quarreling, looking for jobs or fearing to lose them, getting ill and recovering, following public affairs, if we let ourselves, we shall always be waiting for some distraction or the other to end before we can really get down to our work. And then he says this, the only people who achieve much are those who want knowledge so badly that they seek it while the conditions are still unfavorable. There will never be a perfect time to go deep in Bible study. There will never be a perfect time to spend an extra half an hour in prayer. We need to want it, to paraphrase Lewis, so badly that we will seek it while the conditions are still unfavorable. And that's the first question. We cannot let ourselves off the hook. We need to be people who study the Bible. We need to read it every day. We need to hunger for the word even as Mary hungered for listening to Jesus at her home. So when have I sat long enough at Jesus' feet and listened to him closely enough? for him to truly change my perspective on life. Second question is, when have I been honest enough with Jesus about my struggles, about my pain, about my grief, for me to truly depend upon him and hear his words of compassion and love? Mary is in some ways a little accusatory to Jesus, but she knows that he has, he's the only one who has the answers for her. And so she wants to understand, Jesus, I'm coming to you because you're, you're the one you're who I have, and, and, and I know I'm being accusatory, and I know I'm, I'm sad, and I'm angry, and I'm weeping, but can you tell me what to do? This is getting real with God rather than skating over the surface of things. I would commend the Psalms to you, and many of the Psalms are, are kind of the wonderful, joyful Psalms. But many of them are, are, Lord, I'm in the depths of my being. 
how can you help me? How can I hear you? My life is shattered. And yet you see people in this honesty coming to God for answers and God answering them or at least saying to them, I won't give you all the answers now, but I will walk with you through this. It's hard for us, isn't it? It's hard for us to be honest with God. Sometimes we adopt the posture of rugged individualism. I should be able to overcome anything on my own, right? It's like the American way. Or perhaps triumphalist faith, meaning if I really believed, I wouldn't have this problem, so I guess it's my problem, so I'm not gonna give it to God because it's just my problem. I just need more faith. Yet Mary goes to Jesus because she's looking for more faith. Jesus says a little later in the Gospel of John, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Notice he doesn't say, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I'm gonna take it away from you. He says, no, come close to me, I have overcome the world. You're still gonna, you're still gonna have problems with this. And we can come to God because as Peter said in his first letter, Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. We can unapologetically come to God with our pain. We can unapologetically come to God with our confusion. We can seek him in the midst of our deepest, holiest moments. We can cast our cares on him because he cares for us. It's been a privilege to be the pastoral liaison for our new Celebrate Recovery ministry because I've been so impressed by people's willingness in that venue to be honest about their pain and their struggles and to depend fully upon Christ to help them move forward from something that's very, very difficult, that has in fact shattered many of their lives. We can come to God, we can be honest enough with God about our struggles and pain, and we can hear his words of compassion and love. Final question is this, when have I wanted badly enough to serve Jesus that I've been willing to risk my reputation and my resources in front of others, in plain view, in order to bless him. Mary comes to this point where she can't help herself. She's gonna, in the eyes of others, she's gonna waste all this money on this perfume in order to just bless Jesus in that moment. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul who said, I count all things lost for the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. This is full commitment to Christ. This is not dabbling. This is saying, Lord, I, I want to learn enough. I want to share my emotions enough, and I want to sacrifice for you because I love you. We hedge our bets, don't we? We're oftentimes kind of risk averse. I'm going to go in so far, and that way if I need to, I can step out. Or if I don't get what I want, I can at least step back. But God invites us to be fully in. I lived uh, and worked for a time in a community that was home to an insurance company. I'm not trying to slam the church or the company or the community by this. But that whole um, way of doing things really permeated the culture there. The culture of, of risk minimizing and kind of counting the cost on things. And in many ways, I was glad for that because I had my insurance with them and I didn't want them throwing my money away on <laughs> a lot of risk. But there are times that doing things that way can limit our ability to respond to God. If we always think, well, I'm not sure what the return is on this, I'm not sure what the risk is on this, sometimes it takes this bold step, saying, God, I love you. I want the world to see this. I want to be fully in. I want to act in such a way that honors and blesses you. Because what it says in this is that she blesses Jesus 
by her act of sacrifice. And so we see Mary's formation from eager learner to mourning doubter to sacrificial worshiper. And that the common thread of biblical folks that we really admire is that they've stuck with God through the long haul. It's been their desire more than anything else that's kept them going and kept them close to God. So I want to challenge us today to to, um, work with a word that my colleague Eric Haskins uses many times. He will oftentimes come into the church on Sunday morning, and on his Facebook page he will post, time to recalibrate. I I love that image, that we drift away sometimes, we need to get get the compass back in the right place, we need to get the, the energy going in the right direction. We need to recalibrate. We need to make adjustments according to the truth, according to the highest standard. So I'd like to invite you today to work on that calibration issue as I plan to as well. To sit at Jesus' feet. To share with Jesus the deepest issues in your life. To serve Jesus with all you have and are to the glory of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we are grateful that Mary was able to come to you because you have the words of eternal life. You are the one who invites us to cast our cares on you. And you are the one who helps us to know that whatever we lose in this life, we gain eternally in our relationship with you. So Lord, work with us. Inspire us by this hidden figure of Mary. Inspire us, Lord, to sit at your feet, to share with you and to serve you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.